We're back at you, Podcast World, Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast, back with you with our Essentials of Duck Hunting series. We've had outfitters, we've had guns, we've had ammo, we've had the knife, we've had the grills, we've had concealment and camouflage, we've talked about access, we've talked about decoys, we've talked about duck calls, and um, we are now moving on to a very important aspect in way more ways than one. You know, we talk about dogs as man's best friend, but in duck hunting, they are a conservation tool. So we're going to talk about duck dogs today. We're going to talk about handling, training, breeding. We're going to talk about new news coming out of the of the kennel that we refer to so often on the Fowl Life podcast, the Fowl Life TV, our social media, Mossy Pond Retrievers, Georgia. That's who's today's episode is brought to you by. Check out Mossy Pond Retrievers at Team MPR on Instagram. Brad Arrington, Lee Howard, the entire crew down there, Miss Ellen, his lovely wife, they got it going on when it comes to every aspect from obedience to powerhouse sporting dogs, duck dogs, master hunters. Uh, hunter retriever champions the ribbons that these guys have produced the dogs that these guys have produced the bloodlines that these guys have produced at mossy pond are second to none and today's episode of the foul life podcast is also brought to you by yukonuba sporting dog brand dog food you talk about scientific research and you talk about performance there's nothing like the results you will see when your dog starts to eat the diet provided by our friends at Yukonuba. We've been with Yukonuba for 18 months now, and we have testimonials from people all over the West Coast, the Central United States, the East Coast, including Brad Arrington and the crew at Mossy Pond. They feed exclusively Yukonuba. We're going to talk about that more today. But if you want results to the fullest maximum out of your dog, check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog. And if you need any information on it, please do not hesitate to contact us here at the Foul Live. We'll have other contact information you throughout the day. So I will introduce our guest today, Mr. Brad Arrington, the owner, the founder, the operator of Mossy Pond Retrievers, the Mossy Pond Empire that is being built in the southeastern part of our country, the state of Georgia. There's a lot of good blood that's come out of the state of Georgia. I'll just name a couple. Zach Brown. Brent Cobb, Ben Ratliff, I'll, I could keep going. There's so many great individuals, and I don't know if they come any greater than this man right here. Welcome, my brother, Brad Arrington. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Are you there, Maddie? I know this is kind of new to you, like anything technology, like if it's not a shot caller, I don't know if you know how to run it, do you? Yeah, you're right. I'm used to um, hanging with dogs out, outside, so this is, this is new to me, but I'm a, I'm a, just bear with me. I'm what's the what's the weather down there? And y'all haven't got hit by any tor. Do you get tornadoes in Georgia? Yeah, we had some bad weather last week. Um, every everything's been good, and then we just had a, a thunder cell come through that had some had some tornadoes in it. But today it's beautiful, seventy five degrees, sunny, um, little wind, so everything's beautiful at Moss Pond today. And um, I've heard about cats that have. Uh, contracted the virus of the corona can a dog get it i i haven't heard of any dogs having it i i know that um cows um can get it and i've, I've heard of cows back in the day that had corona and we would treat them but um no dogs so I, I we're safe um as far as the dog training um we're, we're quarantining ourselves all the trainers are spreading out um we're, we're getting a lot of good work in and uh, being able to train and don't have anybody out, so we, we don't have any um, distractions, so we're able to 
grind down and get a lot of extra work in right here lately. Nobody's staying in the lodge. So, um, it's don't have much activity at Mossy Pond right now, but we're getting a lot of work in with the dogs. Yeah, I think it's safe to say a lot of people are finding time to focus on a lot of areas that they were probably not, myself included. I'm, I'm doing a lot that I, I really wasn't when I was on the go a lot, traveling a bunch and always to the gym. You know, you're just running and gunning like you are all the time. And you're probably even finding time to concentrate on maybe more business aspects or whatever. But the quarantines, I'm, I'm staying positive. I'm staying optimistic. And it's good to see that you guys are essential down there and you're making sure that the dogs are taken care of. You can't just turn it off and not go back to the kennel And when you have that many dogs. How many dogs do you have in right now? We keep about 100. We uh, we got 100 in. Uh, that, that's full capacity. And um, we got eight trainers. So everybody's got 10 to 12 dogs. And um, everything's everybody's got a bird boy or two. So... It works good. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about numbers of dogs and, um, with a pro trainer that kind of scares them, but with the manpower we have here, have we have here at Mossy Pond, you know, we can maximize that training. Every dog at least gets four lessons a day. And, and um, I don't know every, I'm looking out the window right now, all the trainers are, um, kicking butt and, um, training all the dogs look happy and everybody's good. So, this series, Brad, is called The Essentials. You've been on several episodes of the TV show, The Foul Life, several episodes of this podcast already in its short existence. But um, this is The Essentials. We wanted to break it down on what makes the hunt happen and what are those key components that a guy or a girl should consistently work on to, to experience consistent success. With dog training, you can't expect results out of a high-powered lab and i'll use i'll use uh, axel as our example today because we're going to talk about axel people have seen him on the foul life they've seen him on our on our instagram and our other social media platforms he's a high-powered dog but he would never get there or stay there without consistency in his training and your ability and lee's ability to put that training and instill it in him on a pretty much a daily basis is that fair to say oh definitely yep yep you know um I don't want to uh, sound like a broken record, but I, I preach over and over and over. And I'm sure um, people that seen any videos or listen to me, they've heard me say this, just like you play. And um, you have to, you have to do it daily. It has to be muscle memory for them. It has to be muscle memory in and out of the boat, in and out of the ground force blind, in and, in and off of the stand. Um, all the elements we have to practice like we play. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, a, a big thing that a lot of people miss, uh, you know, you got to have the feathers in their mouth. You got to have the real gunfire that have to smell the gunpowder burn. And, um, it's, if you don't do it every day, you know, it's, it's something new to them and it's something that surprises them. And that's, that's when you have the mistakes, but when you do it three, four five times a day, six days a week, and they have all of those elements, every trainer on Mossy Pond, has to have gunfire every day on every dog, has to have feathers in their mouth, quail, pheasant, pigeons, ducks. Um, they have to have the boat. They have to interact with the boat somehow. They have to interact with loading and unloading. Um, in the ground force blind, on the stand. every day I want the dogs to interact and do the things that they do when we wake up from the duck lodge and go out to – to the duck blind, I want them to go through all of those motions every single day. And when you do it every single day, and then when the ducks start cupping in and it's, it's opening day, 
nobody's surprised. Nobody's caught off guard. Nobody's overwhelmed. And that's, that's when we knock it out of the park. So when you hear me say this series is called the essentials of duck hunting, you, you yourself are a duck hunter. You've been on several duck hunts with me. I know you travel out of the state of Georgia to let's say Louisiana to honey break. You've been to, to prairie wings in Arkansas. You've been to Canada with us, North Dakota. Why is a duck dog essential to the duck hunt. And, and if, if somebody came to you and said, Brad, should I always have a dog with me on my duck and goose hunts? What do you, how do you answer that just in, in, in the, in the, in the most simplest of terms? It's the most important part, right? <laughs> I, I don't, I couldn't argue that. <laughs> that well, you know, um, unless you're a, a perfect shot and can head shoot every duck, you know, the, the cripples, nobody wants a, a, a everybody wants to be a, a, a great sportsman and a, um, they, they want to make a clean kill, but of course we all know that doesn't happen. And to not recover that game, even if you have deep water and you have a boat sitting right there, the best boat operators, the, the most agile guys to put their gun down, make sure it's safe, jump in the boat and run those cripples down. More cripples are going to get away that way than if you have a good duck dog. And we want these dogs to be a conservation tool just like we are. And um, those cripples getting away is bad for everything. Um, and it's bad for the sport. So we, the dogs, in my, in, in my, um, my words, is, is the most important part. The dog is there. He's, he's going to pick up our cripples. He's going to find birds that we wouldn't find, even the dead birds. Um, you know, the birds land in big, deep tulies, um, cattails. You know, we might look over it for days. And he, he might hit the water and go up under and die. These dogs, they're going to recover that game and bring it back to us and make sure that there's no wounded birds left in the field or, or even dead birds left in the field. So in a, in a way, they're a tool, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to talk about a living animal like that. But in this instance, no matter how much you love your dog, no matter how close he is to you, the disposition, the, the riding in the truck, the front seat, laying in the house, playing with the kids – with it, this time of his life, those hunt days, he's a conservation tool is what you're explaining to me, correct? hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it goes so much farther than that, but I, I think that's as far as taking him out to be a duck hunting dog and being essential to the duck hunt. Um, I think it's the most important part. The last thing we want to do is go out and uh, shoot our guns and, and kill the birds and not be able to recover them. So, I mean, that, that would turn everybody off. So that's why the, the duck dog is is the most important tool in my opinion yeah I, I, I mean I, I agree I can't argue that and I and I love a lot of aspects of a hunt but you're talking about something that is going to make or break different things as far as ethics of being a true sportsman and, con and conservative about or a conservationist of I didn't mean that kind of was a tongue twister right there <laughs> was that a Freudian slip in today's world um it's in this just the ethical part of it, like you're explaining, Brad Arrington, right. is bringing those ducks back to put them on your strap and to get them on the grill to feed that bounty to your friends and family because we live off the land. So right there, a duck comes in, three of them come in maybe, boom, get them. Maybe one gets caught in crossfire. Maybe the shooting's not dead on. Your patterning's a little off. That duck hits the water, swims into a big bank of toolies. I would, I would dare a human or bet a human that they're going to retrieve that duck 
10 to 15% of the time. We do not have the noses of these dogs. We do not have the get up and go of these dogs. We don't have the stamina of these dogs. When they're over in those toolies and they're sniffing around and they're di- they're putting their nose close to that water and they're and they're finding that duck, he might be di- he or she might be diving on them. Um, there's so much that goes into that part of it. And then the legal part of it is that duck is doing a legal justice to that hunt by making sure that you as the hunter are going in there and retrieving the birds that you shoot and not going over your limit or saying, well, I, I wounded two, but I didn't count those against my limit. No, you don't do that as a duck hunter. You stay within the legal means. So that duck, that dog becomes part of your legal, you know, your legal protection. Am I, am I lying? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, and you, you hear of that um, example that you just um, came up with all the time. And, you know, there's not a duck hunter out there that, that hasn't seen that, whether there was somebody else or they've done it themselves. But with a good dog and, um, you know, if we're going to do our job and um, um, be ethical, um, we're, if a bird goes down, we're going to count it. But if you don't have a great um, duck dog to go find it and recover it, you know, uh, you, you, you go out of the field with a, with a sour attitude instead of a great attitude. And then, you know, the, the joys of what a dog can bring to the hunt, you know, being there, sharing that moment with you, going back to the family, sharing that, um, you know, that time back at duck camp, back sitting by the fire, you know, there, there's so many more aspects and, um, you know, different things that we can enjoy with the dog. But as far as essential to the duck hunt, um, the, the, the retriever in my, in my book is, is number one. I'm going to say something right now, and it might sound like I am a kind of I don't think prima donna is the right word, and I don't want people to think that I'm trying to come off as somebody that is any different than anybody. I mean this for anybody, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Brad. You have you have a family that 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 has a duck dog, a hunting dog that that hunts during the duck season, then comes home, and he's a house dog or a pet, right? I think that's great, and I think that there is a place for that. But in my experience, and what I'm trying to learn from you is this: is my schedule is very busy. Most people that work a nine to five job, a nine to six job, eight, nine hours a day, five days a week, and they have the weekends off, they come home, they're tired, they have homework to do with the kids, they got dinner to cook for the family. There's a lot that goes into the everyday life that somebody that is not you or a dog training professional business kennel retriever club like you have. I think it's more beneficial in the long run for dogs to stay in training, to keep going back to first off to get trained initially by a professional like yourself and Lee and your crew there at Mossy Pond. I think that there's, I don't think there's anything like a duck dog that comes out of a house like yours. Then he comes to my place. I don't have the time to do the upkeep that you're talking about. So I, in my opinion, and this was my point is that I don't think I'm doing that dog justice by not letting him go back to training and live this life that you're describing of the feathers in their mouth, the gunshots every day, the, the, the correct diet, the correct feed times, the right run times, the right air times, everything that you're doing on a daily basis is going to get that dog to his maximum potential. Now, I understand that the time spent with the owner is also important. So my question is, am I right in saying that? And if I am, how long is the right time? How many years do we leave our dog in training? And then how detrimental is that busy schedule of the mo- you know, the, of the average American to a sporting dog or a high powered duck dog? Does, is my question making sense to you? 
Oh, definitely. You know, and I run into that every day. You know, we have dogs in here that are obedience trained that are only here a couple months. We have dogs that are the basic gun dog. And then we have obedience, uh, inside obedience and the gun dog, which is probably our most, um, um, probably our most customer. Um, we, we have more customers that have the dog that wants the inside obedience and the gun dog part of it than the advanced gun dog and the competition dog and all of that. And we run a lot of competitions and I, I guess we've, we've got a lot into that. So when people look at us, they think we're just a competition, um, training, um, kennel, but that's not true. Uh, 90, probably 80% of our customers are the guy that has the duck dog. His family has the duck dog and he hunts, you know, 10, 15 times a year. And that dog goes out hunting with him. But to answer your question, um, that dog you know, um, he, he has to, he, he does have to be on a regular basis. Um, but the most important part, what people look over is coming and learning from the trainer, how to operate that dog. I'm not going to ask any of these guys that have these dogs in these programs that are going to leave for obedience and gun dog training to leave their dogs for years. Like, like you just said, most of those guys are going to leave them from eight to 10 months that's going to give them the hand signals, every tool that they can, that they need to operate that dog. And that's going to give all the, the dog, all the tools he needs, but where people fall short on, on you, this is your question. What people fall short is they don't learn from that trainer, whether it's me or any of the other trainers out there, they don't learn how to operate that dog. So if I'm going to say what is very important for those customers to follow up on or those dog owners to follow up on, or if they don't get their dog trained by a pro because they don't want to send them off, their wife doesn't want to send them off, their um, husband doesn't want to send them off, their kids don't want to send them off, go to the trainer and learn how to operate the dog, how, how to train the dog, how to keep that positive attitude, how to keep that tail wagging on that dog while he's being obedient, while he's doing his task at hand um, in, in a speedy manner with a good attitude, with a cracking tail, with the ears up, enjoying it. And whether you don't train, whether you don't send your dog off and you're going to do it yourself, whether you send your dog off for just a few months or you send your dog off for years, you need to learn how to do it because we are professionals for a reason. Everybody out there thinks they're a dog trainer, but these guys that are professionals, they know how to show you how to do this properly and keep a great attitude on the dog and the dog be very obedient doing it. And so I think that's the part. It's not, Hey, leave him at Mossy Pond for four years and pick him up for a duck hunt. No, get what you want. The training, whether it's the three month obedience program, a four month gun dog program, or uh, 18 months, totally finished all the bells and whistles, everything you can imagine on him. But when he goes home, that part is the most important part. How do I train this dog? How do I correct this dog? How do I make this dog have an excellent attitude and do the task at hand the same way he does it for Brad? And that's where people fall short. It, it, it's not they need to leave their dog in training more. It's they need to get with their trainer and understand how to operate the dog and learn how to handle the dog. And if they'll do that, it's like, 
you land a helicopter out here at Mossy Pond, there is no way that with a crash course, you, you help me for, you know, a day or two, and then I can take off flying it. You know, to feel comfortable and safe, man, I'd want two or three months of lessons before I would even get off the ground. And that's what you need to do with your, your dog. You need to take several hours and hours and hours of lessons. Start in the yard, then go more into the field, all the way into the real-life situation with a trainer. And that's why we offer the hunts here. We do quail, pheasant, duck hunts here for that customer that comes in. He'll stay in camp with us. We can talk it around the campfire at night, but then the next morning I can go out and I can show him after he's done several hours of lessons in the yard, then I can go out in the field with him and proof that. And when he makes a mistake, we laugh and giggle about it, but I show him how to do it right. If the dog makes a mistake, I show that owner how to correct the dog in a, in a good manner to keep that dog a great attitude. And that's my answer to your question. I, I think that people have to take that time to learn how to train, operate, and maintain a dog's training when they get them back home. And when they go back home, what do you tell the hand? What do you tell the owner, Brad? You know, depends of how, on, how 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 long how long is this? What's the schedule like with a with a busy job and having the weekends off? And these dogs are used to everyday exercise and and training with you in real life situations of feathers in their mouth and, and guns going off. Then what happens when this guy takes that dog back and it's not duck season, it's February through August, the, the dog days of summer, all of that time. What do you tell him on, on time spent training? And we show them a lot of different drills and a lot of different things that they can do in and around the house. Um, patient drills, you know, you, you put the dog on um, the place command in a boat. I, I, want the, I don't want the dog all over the boat, walking from the end of the boat to the back of the boat. Um, when you got guns in there, you got other people. When I say place, I want him to place. So that's a patience drill. You can do that in your living room. You can put him on his place board and tell him place and sit down and watch a 30-minute television program. If he gets up, go over there and show him the task that I'm, that I'm showing you. So you can do a lot of this stuff inside your house, and that's what we show our customers here. But I would say, you know, 10 minutes a day, three and five days a week, for a um, intermediate dog, for a very advanced dog, twice a week, for a dog that um, you know, just a three month or four month gun dog, you know, that dog he needs ten or fifteen minutes, probably four or five days a week for um, to to maintain him. But now, if a dog's been here a year with us, you know, you work him twice a week and he's Cadillacing pretty good. Now, don't get me wrong; when it comes hunting season, you need to accl- acclimate him to the weather. You need to get his lungs in shape. I mean, they're just like a professional athlete. So he has to exercise. He has to, um, you know, get us, get, get everything in check before he goes out in the field. You can't expect him to lay by the fire for um, two or three months and then go out there on opening morning and retrieve 30 ducks for you. So um, that, that comes into play too. But, you know, 10, 15 minutes to keep the commands crisp is four or five days a week for, for any dog is sufficient. And if I want to get the most essential benefit and, and performance out of my duck dog and I get to go in and, 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 and find a puppy, do I want a female or a male? Oh, there a lot of great males, a lot of great females. I, I've, I, my first lab that got me into this was a male and, um, everybody that I know and know knew Bo 
thought that, you know, he hung the moon and I, I did as well, but I went straight from a male to a female. I, I got a female for me and my family and for me as a hunting dog after that. So I love them both. I've seen some great males, some great females and some awful males and some awful females. Are there big differences when, what would, what would differences be obviously besides the sex? What are, are, are females always a lot um, lower key to lower energy, not lower energy, but just kind of like more laid back? Or do you find a, do you find a, a real aggressive and intense female sometimes also? No, sir. They, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, some of these females, they're, they're just as good as the males, just as high driven. I mean, some of our field trial dogs, you know, they're, they're females and they, they can, they can bust ice and make a 400 yard retrieve and come back and be ready to rock and roll and, the next, um, retrieve. Um, and, and then, you know, there are some females laid back, but there's a lot of males that are laid back. Um, you know, and everybody thinks they want that fire breathing dragon when they go out in a duck blind, but that's not the, that's not the perfect dog. That, that B model dog that, you know, can lay by the fire, hang out with you around camp. Um, it's just like Axel. I mean, he, he's just perfect, perfect B model dog. I mean, what I explain to people all the time, right here with me right now he'd be laying at my feet wouldn't be up hassling walking around checking things out but you put him in that duck blind he's not a whiner but he is very focused um just like in the shows you know that we've done with you i mean he is focused on everything we do the safety comes off his ears perk up he gets ready i mean he's always looking out he's not that dog um, that lays down in the blind. He's not going to get bored. Even if it's a slow day and it's nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, he's not going to lay down and go to sleep on you. He's going to always be up looking, but he's not pacing the floor. He's not whining. Uh, that's the perfect dog you want. And that's hard to come by. And there's a lot of duck hunters that I train for that love the fire breathing dragon, but you know, um, they, they do have them as pets, but those are, those are, more on the tool side for those guys. I mean, all it is is um, it, they they also hunt, you know, 60, 70 days out of the duck season, you know, following the migration up in north and south. And uh, those, those guys are every day. But that same B-model dog can th- get the job done too. So a lot of people have a misconception of that. Um, and a lot of people have the misconception of that C-model dog that, you know, l- lay so pretty on the couch. Um, but then, you know, he doesn't get the job done in the duck blind. I don't like that either. I, I want a dog that can do both. And there's no reason that a dog with a good bit of energy, high energy that likes to be good and is performance that he can't be a good pet. That's all goes back to the training and, um, him being an obedient gentleman's gun dog. Um, and that just, you, you, you train those dogs properly. They can be a, uh, an obedient, great dog around the family. But then when you go out in the duck blind, they can get the job done. So pretty much they have a switch and they, they flick that switch. It's, it's go time when it's not on, they're chill laying up there. They're, they're, they're in their place. They're not, you know, messing with all the kids or running high wire and taking somebody's ACL out in their knee. And so they, there's a switch, right? And when it's on, it's time to go. And when it's off, it's time to chill. That's right. That's right. And you, you know, we don't, we don't breed dogs here at Mossy Pond, but we line our best um, stud dog customers up with our um, 
uh, best female owners. And w- we put those dogs together. And, you know, after I've, I've been doing this since Oh two and back when I was younger, you know, I did want a little bit hotter dog, but I, I think I'm wiser now and I, I've learned from my mistakes and I, that's not what I want. Everybody loves a dog that you can come in here. He's not jumping on you, but you can pet him. I mean, whether, whether you got on your Sunday best and you're going out that night and you can go by and pet him or that next morning and you know, the, the you're on the X and, and they're coming in and y'all, you and your buddies are dropping them right and left and they can do the job. Um, that that's the dog that you want. And that's what we've been trying to put the best stud dogs with the best females and produce that B model dog. And that makes my job easier. You know, when I train those puppies like Axel, um, that, that come out of that style dog that when that owner takes him home, you know, he's cool and chill around the family. But then when he goes, when he gets out in that duck blind, he can show out. Yeah. I think I, I couldn't describe it any better. I was talking to uh, my friend, Brad Forsyth in California he has a really good black, black lab female. He made a comment the other day to me, Brad Arrington, that she's eight going on nine almost. And he said, I think it's time that I get another dog started um, and have it ready for when I retire. Miss Ellie, is that normal to hear that? And would you say that that's too young to start thinking that way or, or what is the right mindset when it comes to the, the, the golden age of it for a dog and when he's, when he or she's close to retirement and you need to get another one started? He's hitting it pretty good. The mistake I hear a lot is around six and seven. They're calling me and wanting to do it then. That is not the, I mean, you do all this work and this preparation to have this perfect dog and the golden years are six, seven, and eight. Those are the, those are the best years of that of you and that dog's life. Those are the d- days that you're going to remember 20 years from now um, when that dog's six, seven, and eight. I mean, he, he's figured it out. He, he's got it. He knows what's going on. When you wake up in the morning, he knows that you're not going to work. We're going hunting this morning. And six, seven, and eight is it. So um, Mr. Brad's hitting it just right. You know, if he if he starts looking at it, the, his Ellie's eight, you know, by the time he gets the pup, train you know she's going to be nine or ten he's hitting it just right but don't don't do it too soon I, I get a lot of owners just they get excited you know their their dog's five and six and they start calling for a puppy and even though that means business to me even though that means business to me i'm like listen this is this is what we've done all the work for enjoy it um don't get in uh, a rush no pump the brakes enjoy this part but when the dog's eight that that's a good age so six, seven, eight, six times seven in dog years is 42. Seven times seven is 49. Eight times seven is 56. I'm not good at math. I got to do it out loud in my head. And I'm sure you being from Georgia are probably thanking God that I didn't ask you what the answers were. <laughs> I, was, I, I was just afraid that you were about to say the glory years. So, I, I, so I'm asking I, you. I'm sure you fit in that one of those categories. Does it go? Does it go for humans? Because I would be in that for that <laughs> mid forty. So that the goal, my hey, this is my prime, right? Is what you're saying? A five year old. I take all my answers back. About a five year old. <laughs> so you're around dogs a lot. While I'm on that subject matter, right there, you're on. You've been around them every day at least since 2002. Hmm. Are we? Are, are is the ideology or the theory of 
dog years is it uh, is it pretty legitimate like is that what you see in dogs when when they're one that's the equivalent of a seven-year-old child when they're two that's going into their teenage years when they're three their legal drinking age i mean is that kind of equivalent in your experience with all the dogs you've seen come through mossy pond i'm just wondering in science like is it you hear dog years all the time and i'm just wondering how true it really is uh it's, it's pretty close but the maturity uh you know, when they, when they get too old to go, you know, that maybe that's pretty accurate, but you know, we got a lot of one-year-olds out here that are doing big dog things that, um, I know a seven-year-old couldn't do, um, what an 18 year old could do. And we got some one-year-olds out here that do some pretty slick stuff. And, um, so the maturity part in that age group, probably a little inaccurate, but maybe, maybe if they're just talking about, you know, um, when the dogs get too old to go. When you, when you have a, a water situation, you're hunting over water and the dog, the water is deep enough for the dog to swim in. If you, as far as the beginning of that hunt goes, do you always tell your clients to go out and check anything around the area where that dog is going to be stationed? Obviously you can't control everywhere that dog is going to go during that day. But as far as the leap off of that platform or that stand, what, how do you prepare a person for that to always make sure that the safety of a dog during a hunt, the jumping off, no exposed branches, nothing underneath the, the, you know, the water that could get to him. Or how do you, how do you maintain a dog's health during the hunt when there's all kinds of debris that could potentially be underwater? That's a good question. And I, I preach it more and more and more. And, you know, not everybody does it. Not many people do it, especially after, you know, you're 30 days into the hunting season and you've already hunted 20 or 30 days, you know, people get a little um, complacent and lazy, but um, I, th I think it's really important. You know, um, we get bean stubble up in, up in the paw of dogs and um, different punctures all throughout the year. My customers are calling me. My phone's constantly blowing up with that stuff. And, you know, don't get me wrong. We don't want our dogs hurt at all. But uh, another thing, I mean, just like what we talked at the beginning of this about him being a conservation tool, just bean stubble up in his feet, if you don't have the right protection, I mean, that puts him out for the season. That's a six-week deal. My guys called me, and I said, Brad, man, it's stuck up in his paw, and it's bleeding, and it's pussing up. So that means it's infected, you know, and I, I tell him what to do. But I said, you're at least out 10 to 12 days. And, um, if, it, if it doesn't um, heal up properly, you might be out for six weeks. And if they puncture something jumping off in deep water like you're talking about, that's way worse than bean stubble. So it's a must in my opinion. I mean, you got waders on or if, if you don't, you're in a boat, you need to check with a paddle and um, check those spots. It, it takes 10 minutes. And if, if you've done what you're supposed to and get there in plenty of time and you're early, you know, get down in that spot where he's going to be loading and unloading. It, it takes five minutes, but um, I've seen some pretty bad stuff. And, you know, down here in South Georgia, I heard, our stuff, wood duck holes and um, our timber holes um, on the river, they're really rough. And so we, we definitely have to check down here. And I'll always say, you know, put on a, put on a vest um, because that neoprene, even if it is sharp, it'll, it, it'll, it'll, it'll help protect them. Let's, let's um, talk about one of our mutual friends and partners in Yukonuba. How important is it to keep the dog 
on a consistent feed schedule, Brad Arrington, during the season, in the off season, the same time every morning, the same time every evening, is he getting a snack in the afternoon and the importance of that feeding schedule and why is it important? Why can, can a dog eat at 10 in the morning tomorrow as opposed, I had to leave for work at six today, but I sleep in tomorrow on a Saturday and I feed him at 10, but then I feed him at the same time in the evening both days. Will that mess with the dog or is that a little bit thinking into it too much? No, I mean, everything here is very much on a schedule. And everybody says, well, Brad, you're going to have them in the kennel. And I know the kennel's heated and cooled, but I want my dog house broke. Well, if you're on a schedule like we are, 5.30 a.m., the dogs are let out in the airing yard. That means go to the bathroom, do your business. They come in. By 6 o'clock, everybody's being fed. By 6.30, everybody's being aired again. By 7 o'clock, all dogs have to be on trucks and trailers and ready to go out to um, train for the day. Um, after we get out training and the trainers are separated and in their training spot for the day, they start letting the dogs off um, to train. During that time, they're airing as well. And then in the evening, you know, we get in at say six or seven, all the dogs are aired again in, in a big group. Then they're fed. Then at 9 p.m., we have guys come in. And we air them all again. We have zero um, stool in our kennel, zero. Even from dogs that just got here, um, you know, there might be some um, mess ups here and there and some dogs that might get a little sick, but um, a healthy dog and a dog kept on a schedule is going to be a clean dog. And there's not a person out there that doesn't like a clean dog. So um, this, the and for the dog's um, GI tract and his, you know, his gut, he, if just like us, if we eat the same and we get on a strict diet and we get on a good schedule and we eat the same every day, uh, we, we stay regular and it, it's the same with a dog. And a, another part of that is just like a pro athlete. These dogs, if you're going to hunt them hard, they're just like a pro athlete. If, if it's game time for a football player and, and he's busting his butt on, on Sunday, you know, he's going to have to take in more calories to have the energy to burn. So there are times that you, you know, you have to up the feed and with, with the cold weather, the dog's burning more calories. There are times that you have to up it, but if, if you stay on a schedule, you'll have a cleaner dog, a healthier dog and a happier dog. And what about the dogs when they come out of Mossy Pond in Georgia? That that that, that ha, or, uh, climate down there is is relatively warm throughout the entire year. You're 75 there right now. What's your low at this time in in early spring? Uh, if it gets below 55, it's unusual. Okay, so they come out west after they leave Mossy Pond, and the lows are getting down to 25 to 35 at night, and it's warming up to 45 to 55 during the day what is the right temperature for a dog to stay in and sleep in throughout the night? Do they have to be inside? Do they have to be warm? And how warm is that? And how important is that in the longevity, the energy level, the performance of your duck dog? It only really matters when it's performance time, whether you're field trial, hunt test, or hunting. Um, you know, if it's just going to be a pet and a gun dog, um, I mean, a pet, you know, it's basically, so in the off season, like right now, if you got Axel back right now and you're not hunting, it really wouldn't matter because he doesn't have to perform. Now, if you're going to test and he's going to jump in cold water or you go to a field trial with him 
and he's going to jump in cold water and have to perform in those cold elements. He has to be acclimated to it. So the dogs here, when it is duck season, we keep the kennels a lot cooler than this time of the year. You know, there's not many dogs that are, um, that are doing much far as hunting and our hunt test, you know, we keep those, they keep the hunt test and field trials in the moderate climate. So, you know, back in January, they were in South Florida in February they're, they're, you know, Orlando area, mid Florida. And then this time of the year, they're local. Now we're in Georgia. So we want that dog to be acclimated. Um, something trainers know that a lot of people, the hardest time on a dog, well, in Georgia is a day. These dogs are used to the cold weather. Um, and then like overnight in Georgia, it, it's blistering hot. Well, running that dog, he's not used to that heat. And even though his lungs are in shape and he, he's in the best shape he can be, that's when you can run a dog hot. You can take that same dog in July and August, and it's 100 degrees out here. And don't get me wrong, you can't be excessive. But we also hunt dove here um, first of September, and it's blistering hot. You can, you can take the same dog, and he can run all day. But in April and May, when they're not acclimated to the weather that they're in, that's when they extremely struggle. Um, and that goes for cold weather. You know, sometimes here, when we um, send these dogs back for duck season, I tell the owners, I said, look, you're going to have to keep him outside during the day a lot for at least a week or two before you go to the duck blind. I can't make that example here um, with it being that cold. So, you know, let him play outside, do, do some work with it 30, 35 degrees before you take him to that duck blind. Because if he goes from this climate down here straight to that, that cold weather, that's when you have problems. So dogs get acclimated to the weather and the climate, their coats change everything. So you got to acclimate your dog for at least 14 to 21 days before you start making them perform in that climate. Brad Arrington is a training caller, AKA a shock caller, um, which I don't like him being called that, but is a training caller unethical? Why is a training caller unethical? And if it isn't unethical and you abide by them or believe in them, why is that? Do all of your trainers believe in that same ideology? Do most trainers across this country believe in the ideology of a training caller being a key component or tool to the success of a duck dog? And finally, Please end your answer by talking about when you send these dogs home with their owner and their handlers, do you tell them when they're out on the hunt that it is absolutely 100% a necessity to have a training caller still on that dog for ongoing training and, and performance reasons? It's the best tool for training, um, dog training out there, and it's the worst tool. Um, you know, I get calls all the time. Hey, Brad, I got my dog. He's going to come to you in a couple months and he's trying to run off. So I put this shot collar on him and I, I hit him the other day because he ran off. That's the worst thing in the world you can do. I mean, that, that's what I call that ghost correction, that, that correction that he doesn't even have a clue what's going on. He doesn't know the collar. But like I said earlier, you know, if these guys will learn from a professional and a professional will teach them collar conditioning, and teach that dog how the collar and how to respond to a collar, 
best tool in the world. And there's no way uh, we've competed dogs forever at, at, at any level um, in any hunt test, field trial, SRS there is. And there's no way a guy that doesn't use a collar can outperform a dog that is trained with a collar. No way, no how. Wait, uh, say that. Say that again, please. There's no way that what? No, there is no way that a dog that is trained without a collar can outperform a dog that is trained with a collar. I mean, there's no way to get those responses and tell that dog what you're needing at those great distance for a field trial and an SRS and stuff like that. Now, granted, there's a lot of good gun dogs that I have trained without a collar. I mean, and I, I, I will train without a collar on some things. I, a lot of things that I train are, are without a collar. But for those performance field trial, SRS, hunt test dogs, there's no way to get those adequate timely corrections in the field to teach those dogs advanced work without an e-collar. No way. And um, I, I think I know a lot of the tricks to help dogs teach dogs without an e-collar. But it's the best tool out there, and um, especially at a distance. I mean, you get these dogs. I mean, what's the hardest duck to get? That, that's that, you know, a group comes in, bam, bam, bam. We knock five down into decoys, but that last one going away, we shoot him in the, you know, and he sails out there, and he's a cripple at 150 yards. You know, what most dogs want to do, even great dogs, they want to jump back in there where the other five are. Well, we need him to go out there and get that long cripple because that cripple's getting away. I mean, time can't wait. We got to go. Let's do it. And, you know, to teach that dog in lunging water, in toys, 30 mile an hour winds, all of those elements to teach that dog how to perform properly and take the right cast and obey at 200 yards. If we practice like we play, you can't do it without an e-collar. I mean, you, you can't do it. But if you do the collar right, there's not a dog, and I challenge you or anybody else, they can walk through this kennel, 100 dogs, there's not a dog in there that doesn't have a wagging tail. And my trainers and myself, everybody knows that about me. If you walk through there, every dog better be wagging his tail. If not, he gets some TLC. He gets extra birds. He gets extra playtime until that tail's wagging. Even though we use e-collars, we want those dogs to have an excellent attitude and if it's taught properly and the dog is put through a form of training called collar conditioning the dog totally understands it and it is the best tool but using um not properly it can cause a lot of problems and it can cause that dog because people use the collar in the gray area where the dog isn't a hundred percent um, understanding why he got a correction and then it is bad, real bad. Very well spoken, Brad Arrington. If you telling that handler and that dog owner, you're sending them on their way, they're going into their first duck season, second duck season with their dog, fired up, excited as heck. There's flooded timber hunting, there's dry field hunting, layout blinds. Got the dog in a blind next to you, whatever. Um, there's pit blind hunting. There is marsh hunting, river hunting. Where is the absolute best placement for a dog in accordance to his handler and the rest of the gunners? 
I, I always like the handler next to me. Um, if I, I mean the dog next to the handler. So if I'm the handler or my customer's the handler, I want the dog, you know, behind the gun barrel, you know, the, the, um, shoulder on the dog, the wither on the dog needs to be where the knee would be. So if that's in the duck, I mean the duck boat, the duck blind, the layout blind, if he's in a layout blind, he needs to be at that same level back here next to, um, next to me where my gun barrel is plenty room out in front of the dog. Uh, we all, we all know the layout blinds is probably the most dangerous way of hunting. If you know, your, your eyes are tracking on that, um, duck and that dog jumps out, you know, you didn't see him. Um, and that's why it's so important to have an obedient dog and, and a good trained dog when you're in layout blinds, because if he breaks, it, it can end very badly. And, um, same for people. If, if a guy, he shoots a good one out there and he, he, he jumps up and hauls tail out there, everybody else is laying down shooting. Um, it, it it's not safe. So, um, you know, that's, that's the layout blinds are very, you have to be on your toes there, but all, all every, the pit blinds that can be bad. That can be scary too. If you have a dog that's not obedient and if your dog's not, a, you know, if your dog's not obedient and he's not, trained properly you know i i'll say as a trainer and a lot of people say well you're a trainer you shouldn't say that but if you need to stake them out or tie them out do it because you've got to teach that dog he cannot break no matter what a breaking dog is an unsafe dog and that's no good yeah and it's your responsibility as the handler and the owner to make sure that that doesn't happen because it's on you if something bad happens that dog's breaking exactly. because he didn't have the proper training. When you're in a pit blind on a levee in a rice check of California, Arkansas, Louisiana, and you guys come up and your heads are above the pit and you're shooting, a lot of times, like you're saying, you use the word tracking that bird and he starts floating over the decoys and your gun barrel, when you come up, a lot of times you're at ground level, water level. That dog breaks and he starts bolting out into that water. I've heard of it two times in the last two seasons of a dog losing his life in, out of a pit blind like that. The dog is up on the levee and breaks as soon as they pull the lid back and and then it's it's a bad deal from there so um it's I, I i often ask that because i've seen guys put them way back there and then they call their you know they they send them and cast them from their name and they just they come running through it there and i never like that because i always kind of like to have that handler have the vision his vision you know the ability to see that dog at all times i think is very important and if that dog's behind you and he's sneaking out of the blind or sneaking up and then breaks you have no idea of that either so i always thought that you should have him pretty close to even with the gunner and behind the barrel like you're saying or from the from the from the handler and the rest of the gunners you're exactly right. I mean, um, uh, a hunt test judge or a field trial judge or SRS judge will tell you the same thing. A dog behind the handler, that's an out-of-control dog. He needs to come back in, wheel around, heel, look back out, deliver the hand if he's delivering a bird. He never needs to be behind you. Behind you, you don't know what he's doing. I mean, he, he could be a meandering off, a cripple could be back there, a coot could swim by, he takes off after that. So many things can happen. And just like you said, he comes blazing through and nobody hears him or sees him. And, um, you know, he's moving twice as fast because he has a running start. That's, that's very unsafe. Um, the only time I like, I, I can stand them away from the handler is, you know, like, like a raised um, skid blind or a, a tree blind where the dog's below you. That, that's really safe. The only thing is you still need to be aware of that dog coming off the platform and running out in the decoys. Um, but to have an obedient dog, 
to have a trained dog, whether you do it at home yourself or a professional does it, you have to follow up on your training. Yeah, old Joe, he was great last year, but when it gets October, you need to start practicing and training again because old Joe, he's been sitting up for five or six months. He's ready to rock and roll. You take him out there open a day and didn't prepare, he's going to break. And have you have you ever been witness to any sort of accident? I hope not, but have you with all of your time in the field, Brad? Knock on wood, never. Knock on wood, never. Okay, I've heard a lot about it. But, before we talk not, about not, Axel, oh, sorry, this audio has <laughs> kind of messed me up. I'm not trying to interrupt you. It's coming in slow. You you said what? Knock on wood, what? Knock on wood, no. I, I've I've never I've never had an experience with it. Good. I've, um, I've I've heard about it, but it's never happened to me or my any of my dogs. Before we get on to our man Axel, you've already brought him up a little bit. How good of a dog is our good buddy Josh Beckham? Smooth. He's a bad boy. <laughs> he, 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 he's, he's as good as they come. Yep. I would put him any duck guide in the country would love him. Any field trial pro would love him. Any, um, hunt test pro gun dog pro. I mean, every element of the, um, of the dog world, um, smooth is hard to beat. I mean, he's right there in my top, probably my top five ever. Really? Is that include Mo in the top five? Yeah, Mo Mo's good, but Mo he um he can be a lot of dog. Smooth's easy. My um my eight year old daughter could run smooth in the most hectic duck hunt there is, and she's not a duck hunter. My son is, but Hadley at eight years old could run smooth. Wow. With me, you me, you and five other guys knocking them down in the decoys. He's, how, he's, how, he's good. how far is Axel from making that list? He, he's, he has the same demeanor. He has the same attitude, the same gear that smooth has, um, smooth matured very early. You know, he was, um, he, he, he ran the field trials with me in the derbies. I put him on the derby list at a young age and, um, you know, Axel, I think Axel and Smooth in the, the golden years, you know, six, seven, and eight, pretty much going to be the same dog. But um, Smooth matured very early. And um, the only, probably the only aspect of the game that Smooth has Axel in right now is the big game. You know, the SRS, the very complex um, field trial style work. Uh, but Axel's kicking butt too. They have the same demeanor and the same gear, and that—that's the gear that we love as a as a duck hunter and um, as a dog handler. Does Axel have a chance at SRS? Yes or no? Eventually, yes. So we're getting into Axel. He's a special dog. He's a great hunting dog. He's a great companion. He's got a great disposition, a great personality. This is my opinion of him. He's a good looking dog. He's got a great head on him. He's been tested in his hips, his eyes, his joints. He is very healthy. He did mature a little bit later, which is not necessarily a bad thing because so did I, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think most of us have a little bit, maybe Bradley. Um, I think that I don't have anything negative to say about the dog at, at all, except the fact that I don't get to be around him as much with us being so far apart, me not getting to come to Georgia ever, 
just as much my fault as anybody's, but I do get to see him during duck season and I get to see him on FaceTime and I get to see him on your Instagram and I get all the pictures from you and Lee. He is now a master hunter. He is now a retriever hunting champion. He is as good as a dog can get. In my opinion, he's all I've ever wanted in a duck dog. Um, he wasn't a, he's not, wasn't a derby dog. He wasn't qualified all ages, but I don't know if that matters. You can educate me if that does. But as far as what we are doing with Axel now is we are breeding him with females um, we have a lot of guys that call in and say, Hey, what about this dog? Where'd you get this dog? What kennel did this dog come out? We are going to be offering a service coming out very shortly where Axel out of Mossy Pond Retrievers with Brad and Arrington and Lee Howard and everybody down there in Georgia, we will be able to send vials of, of Axel sperm out to be artificially inseminated into your female to to get puppies out of a dog like Axel. Now is I want you to correct me if I said anything wrong, Brad Arrington, and and set me straight. But is that the gist of what we are getting ready to embark on? Yes, and that's you know Axel. He just turned four years old. He's still a young young dog, um, and like you said, he he's a hunting retriever champion. He's a master hunter, and we're still he's still progressing. He hasn't plateaued in his um, in his training at all. Um, and that was our goal. We wanted to make sure we knew his disposition and his gear was perfect. He was a B model dog. He could hang around duck camp with us and still get the job done with a high intensity level in the duck blind. But like you said, he's EIC clear. He's CNM clear. His hips are good. His elbows are normal. Eyes are clear. I mean, um, he just turned four years old. So yes, what we're, what we have now is what I would say is the perfect style gentleman's gun dog that this dog if he throws puppies himself can be perfect for the family as a family companion he can be perfect in the duck blind no matter what level of duck hunter you are whether you're a beginner or you're a duck guide at a duck camp if you want to play the hunt test game to keep your dogs working throughout the off months when you're not hunting he's going to throw pups that are exactly like him that can do that for you if you want to play the field trial game he's going to throw pups that can play the big game he's going to throw pups that can be a well-rounded dog like the super retriever series game that can go big and um, be a hunting dog and that's the style dog that we're trying to breed here at mossy pond that i was telling you that's why we try here at mossy pond to put the best dogs owners together the the best sires the best dams and put them together to produce that b model dog that anybody can run um whether it's a beginner or or an expert if you want to play the big game or the short game or if you're a duck hunter or you need a dog for a companion this dog this style dog can do it all and um that he's the perfect model and the perfect mold for what we're trying to do here at mossy pond and we're going to have a lot more details available soon on Axel and his breeding, his sperm, his artificial insemination ability to get you that those vials. And I want everybody to be rest assured that Brad and the crew at Mossy Pond Retrievers do not cut corners. They have a full-time veterinarian that has been overlooking Axel and all the other dogs down there on a daily basis. They run tests on them, and they make sure that vaccinations, immunizations, everything is 100% up to date. This is the real deal. So these dogs, when guys 
guys call in and say, we want a dog that they see on the foul life. We are now getting ready to announce that Axel's puppies will be good to go. We will be able to send you sperm and uh, inseminate your female and throw puppies out of Axel, the foul life dog. And we're so excited about it. You just heard the man himself, Brad Arrington, lay it down again on another great episode of the foul life podcast, the essentials of duck hunting. Look for more information on Axel and this, all of his breeding information at the foullife.com and mossypondretrievers.com again on instagram you can find brad and the crew at team mpr and you can find us on instagram at the foul life tv brad errington any closing words my friend everybody happy hunting um stay quarantined get through this deal right here where we can all be safe and sound and get rid of this corona where we can get out in the, the, the duck blind when the hunting season comes around. Everybody stay safe and keep their keep their dogs exercising and um, happy training and happy hunting to everybody. Brad, thank you very much for all your knowledge and all of your willingness to help everybody out there in the foul life and banded nation. This has been another episode brought to you today by our friends at Mossy Pond Retrievers. Again, mossypondretrievers.com on Instagram at Team MPR. And today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast was also brought to you by our friends at Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Check them out. The performance blend is unbelievable. We have so many testimonials that tell the story itself. If you need more info on Yukonuba, Contact us here, info at thefowllifetv.com or info at mossypondretrievers.com. I'm sure Brad will be more than happy to help or direct message him on Instagram. Brad, good luck to you. Everybody out there, stay safe, stay home. Let's get through the coronavirus and get back in the duck woods. Tom, hit that button. This is the foul, My Foul Life song by the rock band 2AM Logic. Thank you all very much. In my foul life.